Good, well, it'll be an enormous help to me if you would have that passage open in front of you. Um, And uh, let me pray as we come to this concluding section in the book of Daniel. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our series. And we pray now as we come to this chapter, Lord, that your word would be our rule and guide your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. And we ask it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. So we've we've come to the end of our journey, and I'm sure we'd all agree that uh, Daniel is not an especially easy book. Uh, But I think it's been helpful for us, and it's certainly been a great blessing to me. I think the big thing for me uh, has been to be reminded and made more seriously aware that God is in charge of everything. The sovereign God is in charge of everything in the world. So think of it this way, just as the sun in the sky affects everything in the world, the big things like the seasons and the little things like the leaves on the trees. So the kingdom of God affects everything in the world. And I've also been reminded as I've studied the book that you, the believer, have an important role to play in the eternal plans of God. Because we've seen, haven't we, that when Daniel prays, his prayers are rather like fuel in the machinery of God's plans. His prayers are heard... And the prayers of every true believer are heard. So let me remind you of that. Back in chapter 2, we saw that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that his magicians tell him the content of his dream. And of course, nobody could do that. Remember, Daniel sent up his prayer for mercy. God heard his prayer. And then in chapter 6... Uh, Daniel is praying because he doesn't want to stop praying, even though the king has commanded him to do so. And for his faithfulness in prayer, he's thrown into the lion's den, but God vindicates him. And then in chapter 9, Daniel is told there's going to be great trouble, great persecution ahead for the people of God. And so Daniel prays for mercy. And then by way of response, God gives Daniel a vision of the Lord Jesus in chapter 10 and then a revelation of what's going to happen in the future in chapter 11. Now, we didn't look at chapter 11 together, but at the end of that chapter, Daniel is shown that the, the enemy of God's people will be destroyed. And now, in our passage this morning, chapter 12, we're told the marvellous good news that all God's people will be delivered. So if you like, Daniel in this chapter is transported to the very end of time. He's taken all the way forward to the time of the general resurrection. And in light of absolutely everything that God has revealed to Daniel about the future... The message of chapter 12 is all about the wise way to live. So I'm sure you'll remember that the book of Daniel is 
wisdom literature. It's not prophecy as such. Because in the Hebrew Bible, it was placed along, alongside other wisdom books, such as Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So, in light of everything that God has revealed to Daniel about the future, what is the wise way to live? In this passage, there are two answers. The first answer is treasure God's word. And the second answer is walk God's way. And I hope you're going to remember those headings. They're not just kind of clever phrases. They're important truths about the wise way to live in a troubled world. A world where in spite of all the trouble, God is still in sovereign control. So, my friend, this morning, if you know what it is to doubt, or you know what it is to panic, or you know what it is to be in despair, I hope you're going to come back to these two little phrases. Treasure God's word, walk God's way. Because in spite of all of the difficulties we have to contend with, that is what God is asking us to do. Let's look at them together. First of all, treasure God's word, verses 1 to 4. Come with me to verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So look at that phrase, at that time. What time is that? Well, it's the time of great conflict. It's the time when God's people are going to be caught up in a tremendous struggle. It's everything that you may have read, we didn't look at it together, but it's everything that's described in chapter 11. It's the time when things hot up and there's great distress for the people of God. And it's in that difficult situation that this person, Michael, will arise. And uh, last week in chapter 10, we discovered, didn't we, that Michael is the prince or the angel who's got a, a special responsibility for the people of God. Now, I know that sounds weird to us. Uh, when we were children, uh, we might have been told that an angel was watching over us, but we're grown-ups, so how are we to understand this? Well, the Bible does say that there is a prince or a major figure in the heavens who has a very special responsibility for the people of God. And uh, here, at the time in the future when God's people are literally hanging on by their fingernails, Michael, the great protector of God's people, will arise and all God's people, all those whose names are written in God's book, will be delivered. Now, friends, what does it mean to be delivered? It's an interesting word. It's an important word. 
What does the Bible mean by deliverance? The only reason any believer ever could be delivered is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he disarmed all the opposition. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, Jesus triumphed at the cross, disarming the powers and the authorities. So that's where the power for our deliverance comes from. The goal of our deliverance is ultimately that the believer ends up in glory. That's God's plan. That you should end up in heaven with God to the glory of God. That's what verse 2 is all about. It's all about people waking up and finding themselves in their everlasting reward. But I just want to remind us that the scope of God's deliverance goes back before the cross and it goes forward to the end of human history because God delivers his people in all of time. So sometimes in the Old Testament, that God would deliver his people from hostile nations. Sometimes he would deliver them from tyrants. Sometimes he would allow them to be defeated for a period of time, and then he would deliver them later. And then after the cross, God demonstrates that he's able to deliver his people from trouble and from persecution. And sometimes, we see this today, he allows his people to go into trouble and into persecution. But the important point is that ultimately, he delivers all his people permanently because he's the sovereign God. So this word deliverance is a very big word. And when Daniel talks about deliverance, you can be absolutely sure that any deliverance is ultimately traceable to Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's the gospel. That is the key to the whole of the Bible. And when Michael stands up and our enemies fall down, whether it has to do with tyrants in the Old Testament or the devil in the New Testament, it is because Jesus lived and died and rose. And if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, and if your name is in God's book, you will be delivered. Now look with me again, please, at the beginning of verse 2. Very important verse. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Now those of you who know your Bibles well will remember that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3... God announced the penalty for sin, and you remember that he said, to dust you will return. But here you see in Daniel chapter 12, everything is being reversed. Because at the end of time, from dust you will arise. And everyone, everyone will come face to face with Jesus. I wonder if you know that. Either you'll come face to face with him when he returns, or you will go to him. It's actually not necessarily true 
that you will die. Jesus might return before you die. But it is absolutely certain that everyone will stand face to face with Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, the Lord Jesus himself says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and come out and receive their reward. Now, what will be the basis of their reward? Important question, isn't it? Listen very carefully to this. It's based on their receiving. It is not based on their achieving. It's based on your receiving. So the billion-dollar question is, have you received Christ? If you've received Christ, he will receive you. If you've refused Christ, he will refuse you. It's as simple as that. It's got nothing to do with achievements. It's got nothing to do with good deeds. It's got nothing to do with being a good person. It's got to do with whether you have received the Saviour. And if you have received the Saviour, you will be received by the Saviour. And it's on the basis of that that you will receive your everlasting reward. What is that everlasting reward? Well, end of verse 2, it's either everlasting life or everlasting contempt. So friends, Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 are extraordinary verses. One scholar says this, This is the most developed resurrection statement in the whole of the Old Testament. Now, when you're uh, reading your Old Testament Bible, uh, you will come across a number of glimpses of the resurrection. Uh, So, for example, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Amazing statement. Psalm 23, King David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isaiah 26 says, You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Now those are all terrific glimpses of the resurrection, but this one in Daniel 12, verse 2, is the clearest of the lot. And can I remind you when you're reading your Old Testament that the Old Testament writers had no clear Easter event to guide them, did they? So for that reason, sometimes some of them wrote as pessimists. For example, Job, as a pessimist, says, when you're dead, you're dead. Ecclesiastes, as a pessimist, says, when you're dead, you're dead. But you see, they didn't see clearly, as we do, what God had planned. So friends, Daniel 12 is extraordinary. God gives Daniel a word to hold on to. And in verse 4, you'll notice that he tells Daniel to seal it. That means he has to grip it, he's got to hold on to it. And can I suggest it's a word for you and I to hold on to as well. Because, friends, this Life is not what it's all about. 
God's plans for us go way beyond this world. And all of God's plans are focused on his son and what he did for us on the cross. And if you put your faith in him, you will join him way beyond this world. And then what we also find here is something that we see again and again in the New Testament. And that is that when you've got the resurrection clear in your mind, your priorities now fall into place. They make sense. So can I say this? If you want to be a good witness for Jesus in this world, please do not give your neighbours the impression that your treasure is here. If you give your neighbours the impression that your treasure is here, what does that say about your Christian convictions? No, you and I must do all we can to help our neighbours realise that God is the treasure of the universe. He's infinitely greater, infinitely more precious than anything here. And you see, once the resurrection is clear in our minds, we know intuitively what's important. What is it? Well, look with me at verse 3. Those who are wise will shine and what? Lead many to righteousness. Now that means if we're living wisely, then by our lives, by our prayers, by our words, we will be a signpost to God for other people. Because he is righteousness. And whenever a person turns to God and receives his mercy, he also receives God's righteousness. And that's why the most important role that you and I can play in this world is to help a person receive that righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15 is the longest treatment in all of Scripture on the doctrine of the resurrection. It is an extraordinary chapter, I don't know if you know it. 57 verses, all about the resurrection. And then this extraordinary verse right at the end, verse 58. You don't need to turn to it, I'll read it for you. Paul says, in light of everything I've said, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Why does he say that? That's because of the resurrection. We're meant to be telling other people about it. That is what Paul means by the work of the Lord in that verse. And notice we're meant to be giving ourselves fully to it, So not half-baked, not half-hearted, not on alternate Mondays. Because God has given every Christian a mission that flows quite naturally out of the resurrection. Now friends, isn't it amazing, I think it's amazing, to find our mission right here in Daniel chapter 12, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came into the world. You and I are to shine like the brightness of the heavens because we know the way to God through Christ. And we want everyone we know and love 
to find their way to God through Christ. And the, and the Lord says that those who do that will shine like the stars, not because they're heroes, but because they've lived wisely. And God honours people like that. So friends, in these four verses, there is a tremendous hope. The hope of waking from death to everlasting life. And you can't have a better hope than that, can you? And also in these verses, there is a great task. We are missionaries. If you're a Christian this morning, my dear friend, you are a missionary. So whatever happens, treasure God's word. That's the first thing this morning. The second thing is walk God's way, verses 5 to 13. And I need to warn you that these verses are even more difficult. I feel I ought to be telling you to jump up and down and take three deep breaths before we plunge in, because this is not straightforward. I hope your brain's engaged. I want to introduce the message of these verses to you by reminding you of a little incident in the New Testament where uh, the Lord Jesus has risen from the grave and he meets with the 11 disciples and they're having breakfast together on the beach. And while they're having breakfast, you'll remember that Jesus reinstates Peter. Uh, Peter had denied the Lord Jesus three times and now that Jesus has risen, Jesus reinstates Peter. Three times he says to him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says something really rather strange. He says, Peter, there's going to come a time where you're going to be led where you do not want to go. It's a rather kind of strange reference to Peter's martyrdom. Peter, of course, is totally confused. And then he asks what sounds to you and me like a typical Peter question. He turns and he looks at John and he says to Jesus, what about him? And Jesus says, very interestingly, forget about him, you follow me. Now that rather strange conversation, right at the end of the Gospel of John, is teaching us that there are certain questions which God will not answer. And there are two of them in this final section of Daniel. Because the book finishes with two questions. One is asked by somebody in verse 6, and it gets a very strange answer. And the other question is asked by Daniel in verse 8. And the answer he gets is, don't worry about that, that's not for you. So this is going to bring our whole series to a close. Come with me to verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. I take it these are angelic beings. It's rather fitting, I think, that as Daniel thinks about the future, that he sees one of these beings on this bank of the river and the other being on the far bank of the river. And one of them, in verse 6, asks the question of the man clothed in linen, who we saw last week, is Jesus Christ, 500 years before the Incarnation. 
And this angel asked Jesus, how long will it be before these astonishing things will be fulfilled? Well, it's a terrific question, isn't it? I mean, we all want to know, don't we, how long persecution and trouble is going to last? And, of course, Jesus is the right person to ask. You can't, can't ask anybody more knowledgeable on these matters than him. But the answer is very strange indeed, because there are no dates. There are no numbers. It's very mysterious. And instead, in verse 7, Jesus lifts his right hand toward heaven, and then he lifts his left hand towards heaven, which is highly unusual, because in Scripture, if somebody is making a solemn declaration under oath, they only raise one hand. And here, the Lord Jesus raises both hands because he's making an extremely solemn promise. But then, of course, he gives us this mysterious and rather frustrating answer. It will be for time, times, and half a time. So imagine you came to me before the service this morning and said, Simon, uh, how long is the sermon today, please? And uh, I said, well, it'll be for time, times, and half a time. I think you'd find that rather irritating, wouldn't you? You might think I was playing games with you. It's a very weird answer. So is the answer that Jesus gives here, is he simply toying with us? Is he deliberately trying to leave us scratching our heads? Or is it helpful? Well, I had to dig around here, and I'm pleased to say that the reformer John Calvin knows much more about these matters than I do. And based on what he says, I suggest to you that this is actually very helpful. Because the more you think about the phrase time, times, and half a time, the more simple and actually the more helpful it is. So the answer to the question, how long will the trouble last, is First, it will last for a time. In other words, you're going to have to wait. It's also going to last for times, meaning it's probably going to be longer than you would wish. There might come a moment when you may feel you just can't deal with it anymore. Some of you might be feeling like that this morning. But it will also last for half a time. Jesus says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to cut it short. So although this is a weird little phrase, I think it actually says precisely what you and I need to know. Which is that the troubles that God allows in our world, and that God actually uses in this world, mean that God's people are going to have to be patient in fact, they're going to have to be very patient. But they can be absolutely sure that the troubles will be brought to an end. That's what it says. So it is a helpful phrase. And we might even start using it here in church, at church from time to time. So when somebody says, uh, how long must I put up with crime in my neighbourhood? How long must I put up with the mockery of my unbelieving family? Uh, how long must I 
wait till I get a better job. Or when the children or the grandchildren say, how long must I do my homework? The answer, time, times, and half a time. Be patient, be very patient. It will come to an end. It's a terrific phrase. It satisfies me, but it didn't satisfy Daniel. Because you'll see in verse 8, Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. So I ask, my Lord, what will the outcome of this be? I don't think Daniel there is asking what's going to be the outcome of the battle, because Daniel knows perfectly well God's going to win. Now, I think he's asking the question, what's going to be the outcome for my people, the people of God? Because throughout the book, that has been Daniel's concern. He's concerned for the people of God. But it seems, doesn't it, that it's not an appropriate question for God to answer. So back comes the reply, go your way, Daniel. I'm not answering that question. The words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, you're not going to know until the end. So go your way, Daniel. Walk the path I've called you to walk. All you need to know, verse 10, is that many will be purified in the time of trouble. Can you see that in verse 10? They'll be made spotless. They'll be refined. They'll be made ready for heaven. And look at the contrast. The wicked will continue to be wicked. Now we know this to be true, don't we? You know, we know people, don't we, who go through dreadful things. And for some of them, it's a wake-up call. It, It is God's megaphone. And they hear God saying to them, life is short, turn to me, come to your senses, wake up. And they do. Other people go through equally dreadful circumstances and it leaves them totally unmoved. If anything, they become harder. There's no change, there's no softening, there's no humbling, and therefore, of course, there is no blessing. And then suddenly there are these extraordinary numbers, aren't there, in verse 11 and 12. They're symbolic numbers. Um, It's as if God is saying, I know the number. Could you please be patient for 1,290 days? In other words, could you be patient in the trouble for a reasonable amount of time? I promise you it's a limited amount of time, God is saying. And if necessary, could you wait even a little longer than that? Could you wait for 1,335 days? Could you persevere just that little bit longer? That's a good question, actually, because behind the persevering believer stands the persevering God. You know, God calls us to persevere, but friends, he also enables us to persevere, doesn't he? He keeps refreshing us and renewing us and reminding us and restoring us.
So friends, there is this great principle throughout the book of Daniel. Can't miss it. There's trouble ahead, but it's measured by God and it is limited by God. God is going to bring it to an end. Won't be a day too soon and it won't be a day too long. And so God's word comes to Daniel a second time in verse 13. Go your way. Walk God's way. God's already said that to him once in verse 9. He says it again here. And interestingly, that's exactly what God said to Elijah when Elijah was depressed. God said, walk the road, Elijah, keep going. And it's what Jesus said to Peter when Peter wanted to know about John. Didn't tell him. He said, quite simply, follow me. And so here, God says to Daniel, walk the way. And my dear friends, when you and I come to the New Testament and we hear the Lord Jesus say, I am the way, well, this takes on a completely new meaning, doesn't it? Because we discover that Jesus Christ is the way of peace, he's the way of usefulness, and he's the way of eternal safety. And then the final word in the book of Daniel is actually a message to all God's people in every age, you and me this morning. Jesus says, when you've walked through a difficult world, you will rest and you will rise. In other words, dear Christian, you can write the letters RIP on your gravestone. Because yes, you will rest in peace. But you will also rise in power, RIP. And that's why C.S. Lewis finishes the Narnia Chronicles uh, with this rather wonderful paragraph. If you haven't read the Narnia stories, I do encourage you to do so. And the series ends like this. For us, this is the end. That is, for us, the reader. It's the end of the Narnia Chronicles. But it is only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one, no one on earth has read and which lasts forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable chapter. Thank you for this tremendous glimpse that you've given of the end of the battle, of the resurrection and the joy of being with you. We thank you that by his death, the Lord Jesus has reversed the process of returning to dust and made it possible for people to rise 
We ask you to help us treasure your word and live in the light of it. And knowing your promise that a day is coming when you will cut short all the trouble in this world, please help us to walk with the Lord Jesus day by day as we look forward to the new chapter that begins when we are face to face with him. For it is in his name we ask it. Amen.